you have your Bibles with you, I'll be reading from Mark chapter 3, verses 34 and 35. And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about, who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brother. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. What an exciting week we had. What an exciting week we're looking forward to having. Thank you for being here this morning. We are grateful for your presence we had a great week last week. It was everything that it was advertised it was going to be. Uh, Brother Hiram was here. He did a wonderful job presenting the Word of God. We had great crowds, great attendance, and many people were encouraged and uplifted. If you were here, I know that's true of you. It is good to see you today. Lord willing, this week, this weekend upcoming, a week from now, uh, our own Logan Summers will be a married man. He is getting married this Saturday in the Austin area, and that is an exciting thing. I had no idea when Julie and I came here uh, and the boys came here just over five years ago, the blessing that Logan Summers would be to our lives. I had no idea. Uh, again, you longtime Westsiders, you know Brother Logan. You love him. Uh, you appreciate him and the great person that he is. I had no idea that he was going to bless my life so richly. This weekend, uh, he's going to marry the sister of our very own Lexi Sawyer, Lacey Deaver. He's going to marry Lacey, and I remember when, uh, when that relationship became public. I didn't find out about it long before others did, but I remember finding out about it. I remember when that relationship became public. It became Facebook official. I remember the day that Logan posted on Facebook, in a relationship. In a relationship, Facebook official, uh, when this uh, friendship turned into more than a friendship, more, than a re- more into a relationship, and this weekend, Lord willing, it will turn into a marriage. I love Logan. I appreciate him so much. This row uh, right here in the front will be absent from Westside next week because they will be celebrating that, that wedding. Our row will be empty next week because uh, I've got a gospel meeting starting a week from today in Missouri. So Mike and I are both out next week. Uh, I think Waylon and Thomas will be preaching next Sunday, so that will be a blessing to you and pray that you'll be here for that. But I want to talk to you this morning about relationship. I want you to think with me about one of the greatest words that ever was and will ever be, and that is the word on the screen that you see, salvation. The fact that there is such a thing as salvation, but it begins with this idea of relationship. Now, I just went to dictionary.com, and you type in the word relationship, and these are the first three definitions that come up. I did open the Webster's. I've got one in my office. I opened it up. And basically, you find these three basic definitions of the word relationship. It is a connection, an involvement, an association. It is a connection that people have either through blood or marriage. It is an emotional or other connection between people. That's not hard for us to understand. If I asked you to define the word relationship, you're going to come up with something very similar to this, right? Relationship. That's what it is. 
but there's a word that we find in each of these definitions, and you see it. It is the word connection. This morning, I want you to think about that with me. I want you to think about that word relationship, and I want you to consider with me that word connection. I want you to understand with me and begin to wrap your mind around the fact that it is possible for someone over here and someone over here to establish a connection, to have a relationship. But more than that, what we've come to discuss this morning very, in a very basic way is the fact that God says, I'm here and you were there and I have provided a connection. I desire a relationship with you. About 23 times in the New Testament, we find that phrase, the will of God. There are many other times that we find other phrases and other words that connect themselves to the will of God. But this morning, I want us to consider the will of God and its connection to relationship in three very simple points. Think with me first of this. God desires a relationship with you. Now, again, this is something that I'm going to say, and it's just not going to do it justice. And I want you this morning to try to wrap your mind around this great and important fact that God desires a relationship with you or with me. God has a lot of desires, but chief is His relationship with me. He desires to have a relationship with you. I really appreciate Brother Steve and leading that song just before I came up to preach, God's Family. I love that song. I remember going to Mexico on a mission trip one time, and that was one of the first songs that I recognized, even though they were speaking Spanish and speaking it not in a language that I knew very well, but I knew that they were singing God's Family, La Familia de Dios, the family of God. God desires for you to be in His family. That's the point of what Jesus is saying ultimately in Mark chapter 3, the verses Lynn read for us a moment ago. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there and to hear Jesus say it? As He's got this great multitude around Him and He's got all these people that are surrounding and His mother comes knocking on the door or maybe can't even get to the door and His brothers are with her and they send word through the crowd and the, the eventually gets to Jesus, your mother and your brothers are out there and they long to see you. And as Jesus would, he took an opportunity to take something very simple and make a profound point. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? It wasn't a moment of amnesia, was it? It wasn't a moment of forgetfulness. Oh, well, who is my mother? What does she look like? I don't remember her. But it was a point that you and I need to get. Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who are my sisters? The answer? Those who do the will of God. I'm afraid over the years that that verse has been taken and used as a sledgehammer. That that verse has been taken and just used to bludgeon people and say, See, unless you obey the will of God, you can't be in God's family. And that's really not the point. Now, is obedience necessary to be a part of God's family? Yes. But you know what Jesus is saying is so much more than that. Jesus is saying, it is possible, my friends, for you to be in my family. I want you to appreciate that fact. That Jesus is saying, it is possible for you to be in my family. 
I am making a way for you to be a part of my family. Now, turn with your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 18. And again, I want you to consider what Jesus says. It is profound, it is rich, and it is important. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1, the Bible says that at that time the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child and set him in the midst of them. And he said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Listen, Jesus says, it is possible for you to receive me. It is possible for us to be in a relationship. That's important for us to know. God desires for us to be in a relationship with Him. That's His desire. It is possible for you to receive me. It is possible for us to be in a relationship. So I drop down in that same context. You got it in your mind? Jesus has this little child in its midst. He's using this little child as a way of illustrating a very great and profound point. In verse number 10, he says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains and seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, pay attention, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. God desires to be in a relationship with you. Jesus says, you want, you want to get the point? You want me to just put it in simple terms that you can understand? A shepherd has a hundred sheep, 99 of them stay where they're supposed to stay, and one of them wanders off. Do you see the picture of God leaving, of God going to the rescue, of God going to find the one that was lost? Why does He do it? Because it is not His will that any should be lost. He desires to have a relationship with you. That's what I need to know. That's what I want to remember. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus said, I've come to seek and save those who were lost. But again, especially in verse number 14, it is not His will that any should perish. Doesn't that remind you of the words of Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4? What is the desire of God? He desires that all men should be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. What does He want? He wants a relationship with you. That's His desire. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Why? So that He can have a relationship with you. That's His desire. He wants to have a relationship with you. But here, again, in a very simple way of putting it, trying to put it as plainly as I can, what is the gospel? What is the good news? The good news of the gospel is that God desires a relationship with you. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your social status. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter anything about it. God says, I want a relationship with you. And... Let me take it a step further. 
I have made it possible for you to have a relationship with me. Not only is that my desire, but I have made it possible for you to have a relationship with me, God says. My friends, this is as simple as I can put the gospel. I'm trying my best to make it in ways that we can make it plain and understandable. What is the will of God when it comes to salvation? The will of God is for all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And if that is the case, and and since that is the case, God says, I know that I'm here and you're here because sin has separated us. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. I know, I love the way that Hiram put it last week, I know that you couldn't get over the fence first. I know that you weren't able to come to me. I made it possible that I could come to you through my son. I want there to be a relationship. I'm trying to make a connection with you. And I made a way for that to be possible through my son. I have made a way through the offering of my son. Jesus came and he died for you. This morning, I'm really trying hard to put a smile on your face because I'm telling you that God wants a relationship with you and I'm trying to remind you that He's done everything He can do to make that possible. Jesus came and He died for you. He died for me. That's how much He loved me. That's the reason He gave His Son. You know, when we started this series of lessons several weeks ago, we started in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5-10. through 10. And you remember that the words of the psalmist are attributed to Jesus when he says to his father, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, that by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You remember the will of God was to provide salvation. He did this through his son and Jesus willingly came and submitted to the will of his father. Died for us. So that we can be saved. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 5 through 10 is so powerful. But Think about this. Think about 1 John chapter 2. And we think about what Jesus came and what he provides us. In 1 John chapter 2. Beginning in verse number 1. Just a couple of verses here. There's so much more we could say. But think about it. God has made a way for us to be in a relationship with him. John says, my little children. These things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, a lawyer with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation, the appeasement of God's wrath for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Jesus came and He died for you and for me and for how many? The whole world. That's what Jesus came to do. So that there can be a connection between us and God. That's why He came. And that's what He provides. Now, before I leave this point, I want to go to the Gospel account of John. And I want you to notice with me in John chapter 1, what John says. And again, we're connecting this to the will of God. In John chapter 1, John is writing and making the point and proving it very, very well through the rest of the Gospel that Jesus Christ is God. That Jesus came as God in the flesh and offered Himself on our behalf. But this is what He says in the very opening words of His gospel account in John chapter 1 and verse 9. 
He was speaking before of John the Baptist, and he says of John uh, that he was not the light. But in verse number 9, he switches again to talk about Christ, and he says, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. The world ignored him, if you will. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become, listen, children of God to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I'm not interested in the will of the flesh. I'm not interested in the will of man. I'm interested in the will of God. And John says, you know what the will of God is? The will of God is that His Son came into this world to save you from your sin so that you can be in a relationship with Him. That's what Jesus came to provide. We can be called children of God because God came down. Because God had a plan for bringing about our salvation to provide a relationship with Him. These two points are foundational for everything that we do. God desires a relationship with you. God has made a plan by which you can be in a relationship with Him. And here's the third and final point. We've already arrived. Here's the third and final point. You want to know something about God? God says, I'm going to let you choose. I'm telling you, this is my desire. And I'm telling you, I've done everything I can do for you to be in a relationship with me. I love you. I gave my son for you. I want you to be in my family. I want to have a relationship with you. It's my greatest desire but I'm going to let you choose. Our boys are homeschooled, and that is what it is, and they've been uh, studying some history, and I've been able to be in on some of uh, what they're studying, and right at this moment, they they just love this, uh, as much as I did when I was their age, I suppose. Uh, They're studying right now about George Washington's world. They're going through a book called Washington's World, and And basically, it's not only just talking about what was happening in the early stages of this nation, but what was going on around the globe. What was going on in the rest of the world when our country was just in its forming stages? As Washington became president, what's going on everywhere else? And a couple days ago, I was reading a chapter with them out of this book, Washington's World, and I don't remember all the names, and and this is, uh, you know, they'll be tested on it, and they they can figure it out, they'll remember. Uh, That's on them. I'm past that, but we were reading this, uh, this chapter in the book, and it was about uh, this, this woman who, at age of 14, was promised to a prince in another nation. And at the age of 14, a carriage arrived and took her, and it was about a three-month journey for her to meet the prince that was she was supposed to marry. She'd never seen him. He'd never seen her. He was much older than she was. And here she is forced into this marriage. 
Now, again, you, you've read history and you know that that was common, right? And one day in time, if, if you had nations, especially nations that maybe didn't get along so well and they wanted to kind of shore up that relationship later on, uh, you would have a prince from one nation and a princess from another nation and you would form a union and you would try to bring those nations closer together through that union. But it, neither had a say in it, right? They were both forced into that relationship. Logan and Lacey, they're not forced into this marriage, right? They get to choose. And, and you and I, we were able to choose probably the relationship that we find ourselves in if we're married. It's not forced. You think about that young girl at 14 being forced into this marriage to an older man whom she never met, so far from her home, so far from everything that she knew. And, and we can understand that cultures change and things are different, but that just doesn't sound very fair, does it? I mean, I can look at that and say, that just doesn't sound very fair. And the boys, as we're reading it, they say, that just doesn't sound very fair. God says, I'm not forcing you into this relationship. You see, I've created you with a mind of your own. I've created you with the ability to make up your mind. I'm not forcing you into a relationship with me. I'm telling you, that's the greatest there is. I I have made a way for you to be in a relationship with me, but I'm going to let you make up your own mind. There are three contexts I want to examine briefly before I sit down. And I hope you'll consider with me this very, very carefully. John chapter 6 is where I want to go first. As you're turning to John chapter 6, just a few pages over from John chapter 1, I remind you that in the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus feeds a multitude of people, about 5,000 in number, with five loaves and two fish. The very next day, He is across the sea, and the very next day, this multitude of people, they all go around to the other side of the sea, and they find Jesus Now, the first day, he's taking care of their physical needs, right? They're a multitude, they're in a deserted place, and he performs this great miracle, and he he feeds them, he takes care of them, he has compassion on them, and he meets their physical needs. The next day, they come around to the, the other side of the sea, and Jesus perceives that that's all they're after. All you're after is what you think I can provide you physically. And so day two, in John chapter 6 is very different. Jesus, He knows their hearts. He knows why they've come across the sea. He knows that he just they're looking for a free meal. And He begins to dig much deeper. And He's going after their hearts. And I want you to think with me just a couple of things about what He says about Himself. In verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all He has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up the last day. Here is all of this coming together. God's desire to have a relationship with you and God's plan coming to fruition so that you can be in a relationship with Him. Jesus says, it's His will that I have come. 
But then you, I, have a way of responding to Jesus. Those who come to me, Jesus speaks of. He speaks of those who come and receive me. You see it? And so it tells us that God has a part in my salvation, but then I have a way of making this connection with God, of being in this relationship with Him. I have a way of response. This is not the crux of the sermon this morning. I'm telling you that if we miss the first two points that I've tried to make, then we've missed it all. That I can't just skip over to my part. I have to begin with what God has done for me in order for there to be a relationship. But Jesus does say that there is responsibility. In verse number 53, dropping down, He said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. That sounds like a relationship, doesn't it? As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Not because of you, but because of Jesus and what he's done for you and how you respond to him. Verse 58, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, but he who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is not connecting this to the Lord's Supper. This chapter is not about the Lord's Supper. It's not about the unleavened bread or the fruit of the vine. This is about taking Jesus in. When he talks about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, he is talking about ingesting me, taking me in, living for me, oh Obeying me. I want you to receive me. I want you to live for me. I want you to choose me and to be in a relationship with me. I have come for you. And that is what I want. Your obedience. I want your heart. I want you to love me and appreciate what I've done for you. Now, here's the second one. In Matthew chapter 7... Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is nearing the end of the Sermon on the Mount, isn't He? He started that sermon as Matthew records it in chapter 5. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And I want you to notice with me a couple of very important things from this very one context. I hope you're there, and I hope you'll read it with me. Jesus, near the end of this sermon, says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven... And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I need you to listen to me. Not because I'm anything special, but because this is important. I suppose that for most of my life, I have heard men and have done so myself preached these three verses with loud tone, clenched jaw, almost anger. Not anger, but you know, seriousness. 
as if that is the way that Jesus presented these three verses. Upon further looking into the text and really giving it more serious thought, perhaps, you know, these three verses, if we choose, oh, we can use them as a sledgehammer. I mean, we can take somebody and we can just, boom, just beat them over the head with these verses. You see, Jesus said that you have to obey Jesus said that it's not enough to just offer God lip service, but you've got to obey the will of God. You see, it takes a lot more than just claiming to believe in Jesus. You've actually got to obey Him. Is that there? Yeah. That's there. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9. Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to those who obey Him. Is it enough just to claim belief in Jesus to be saved? No. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Do we have to obey God to be saved? Yes. But I think there's so much more to this passage than that. I want you to to read those passages really thinking about Jesus and really thinking about what His tone must have been. And I want you to read this passage and I want you to consider what Jesus has already said. You remember in Matthew chapter 7 that Jesus has already made the promise that if you will seek Me, you will find. That if you will knock, that door is going to be opened. And the compassion that He's saying, I want a relationship with you. And then in Chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus is saying, you need to make a choice. You need to choose to be on the narrow road. Because that's the road that leads to life. Why? Because there's another road, Jesus says, that's going to lead to your destruction. I've not come for your destruction. I've come for you to be saved. So choose the narrow road. He's begging and pleading with compassion, I see it. And then in verses 15 through 20 of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus here saying, Choose, please choose not to listen to false teachers. Please choose to understand that there are those who are going to come to you and they're going to look like sheep, but they're really wolves just dressed as sheep. And then he's saying with compassion, listen to me please, I'm telling you that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear bad fruit. So listen to the will of God. Listen to what God is saying. I've come for you not to listen to false teaching, but to listen to me. I don't think he's hammering them. I think he's loving them. I'm very compassionately saying, please, please don't listen to false teaching. Please, choose the narrow road. I've come for you to choose that road. And in the verses we read a moment ago, verses 21 through 23, compassionately, Jesus is begging, please, choose to do the will of my Father in heaven. Please don't choose to offer Him lip service. Please don't choose to to think that, that you can earn a relationship with God. Choose to obey Him. Why? Because you can claim to be my servant, but I need to truly be your master. I've come to provide you 
with a relationship with God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. I need you to know that, Jesus is saying. I need that to sink into your ears. I need you to understand that. But I have come to provide you a way to have a relationship with my Father. Seventeen times in that sermon, he mentions his Father. Seventeen times he mentions his Father who is in heaven. What is he driving at? I want you to have a relationship with the Father. I want you to go to heaven. My Father desires a relationship with you. I have come to provide you the hope of that relationship. Now, what will you choose? The choice is yours. Logan and Lacey made a choice to be in a relationship. We choose relationships in this life. God's desire is for you and me to be a part of His family. God's desire is for us to make that choice. As Jesus put it so we can understand it, He says, I want you to be my brother. I want you to be my sister. I want you to be in my family. That was not possible until Jesus came. But now that Jesus has come, that He's offered Himself as our substitute in our place, it's possible. (laughs) Now the choice is yours. I said there were three contexts. Before I sit down, I mentioned this one in passing. Connected to the will of God. Now what will you do with it? In Luke chapter 7 and verse 29, the Bible says when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God or declared God to be just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers, listen, they rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. That sounds scary, doesn't it? They rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. You see, God sent John as a way of preparing the people for the coming of His Son. And they rejected John. Many people rejected his message, and they rejected what he told them to do on the authority of God. You see, God has left us a choice. Will we reject His will? Will we reject being in a relationship with Him, though He has done everything He can to provide it? Will we choose to reject obedience? Will we choose not to be obedient to Him and and to go away from Him when He's done everything He can do for us to be saved? What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with God? What will you do when it comes to that relationship? You have a choice, my friend. Understand that God has done absolutely everything He can do for to make that connection with you, for there to be a relationship. That that included sending His own Son so that we can have a way to get to the Father. Now the choice is yours. Will you choose to come to Him, believing Jesus to be the Son of God, willing to make that confession, to repent of sin in your life, and to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? This is not the time to reject the will of God. This is the time to obey Him in order to be saved. If you're not in a relationship with God, will you come? If you've been in a relationship with God and through your actions you've severed that relationship, this is the time to be restored. Praise God for His plan. Praise God that we have a way to be right with Him. This morning, if you're ready, will you come? While together we stand and sing.